Hey everybody, Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 33rd episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal is always to be worth your time. This week we're going to do that with a point about Tyron Matthew and the new Chiefs, a batch of questions that includes a ton about the Chiefs. The game this weekend, a trend to watch for the rest of the season, the, the, the hill that the Chiefs are running up, and then an MVP thought. We'll finish with Sporting Kansas City, including a few clips from a conversation I really enjoyed with Peter Vermees and how they pulled off the great greatest one-year turnaround in MLS history. The Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Dollar a month for the first three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and I'll send you the link. Okay, Patrick Mahomes gets a lot of credit around here, right? He deserves every bit of it. You know, the Chiefs were a good team, you know, a consistent winner before he got here, but they were nothing like this. I believe, I know this sounds extreme to some people, but I believe he will be remembered as the single most transcendent athlete in Kansas City history by the time he's done playing. That is not hyperbole. That is what I honestly believe. But I want to talk to you about something else here. And I'm specifically and intentionally using the show before the Raiders revenge game. This is about Tyron Matthew. And I want you to think of him a little bit differently than you think of most football players. When when Matthew signed his contract here, Brett Veach, the general manager, he told him that the team needed a Patrick Mahomes for the defense. And what he meant is that the, the defense needed this like sort of transcendent force. It needed, you know, someone with the skills and the confidence to relate to everyone on that side of the ball, to not just make plays, but to help others do the same. And that is a heck of a challenge, right? Like you know, professional athletes, pretty much all of them consider themselves a leader. And uh, and that's not delusion. But, you know, at a base level, you know, Frank Clark and Chris Jones are supposed to pressure the quarterback, right? Like, that's their job. Bashad Breeland and Traverius Ward, they are supposed to cover the receivers. That's that's their job. Treshawn Wharton, Anthony Hitchens, Daniel Sorensen, all these guys, they've got specific roles and specific assignments. And Matthew has those too, but he's also leaned on to show other guys, like, how to work how to think, how to study, how to perform. You know, if you listen to Traverius Ward, he says, like, how to be a professional. That's what uh, Tyron is, is teaching a lot of his teammates. And look, we, we don't usually play audio here in the first segment, but if you've been listening for any length of time, I think it's pretty clear we've been making this up on the fly. So here's Tyron Matthew, you know, six weeks ago after that loss to the Raiders in, in week five. You know, we got a lot of tough guys in our locker room, um, a lot of guys that's that's going to be motivated from this. You know, we haven't lost a football game in a while. And so I think, you know, it's good to have some motivation. So, uh, so going forward, um, that's what we'll lean on. You know, we won't, we won't ever forget, you know, this day. We'll see them again. We'll, we'll be ready next time. He's talking about his teammates there, you know, how they'll react. And he can do that because he is a boss in that locker room. Okay, here's one more clip. You know, we'll get back in the lab. You know, like I said, um, it's, it, it's good. It's a good feeling going forward. Um, obviously, we lost. It's a bad feeling. But to be this motivated, I haven't felt this motivated um, in a very, very long time. And I know my teammates, you know, on all sides of the ball, you know, feel, feel the exact same way. These are short clips. And, you know, we don't have the space in this show to get into everything here. But if you sort of listen between the lines a bit, I think you can hear that vision that Veach had for Matthew coming to life. And, you know, context is important. Matthew showed up after that 2018 AFC championship game loss. The, the Chiefs at that moment 
could have continued down the same path, right? Like the offense was set and they were going to score a million points almost no matter what. And the defense was a mess and a mess in so many ways uh, with personnel, with accountability, with confidence. Uh, and the secondary was the worst part of that mess. Um, those guys did not believe in themselves did not believe in their coaches. Uh, they felt beat up, disrespected. Like every problem the team had was blamed on them. And the whole thing just kept snowballing. It was just, it was untenable. And now here comes Matthew. Um, here comes that challenge from Veach. And that is a heck of a challenge, you know, to clean up this mess that you had no part in creating. But Matthew is different, man. He, like, he is really smart. And maybe it starts there, but he has, you know, a life experience that draws this instant respect. You know, you, you probably know the basics, but just, you know, real quick here. He, he was the best player in college football for a time. And, you know, the stardom and everything else was was too much. He failed some weed tests, got kicked out of LSU, and that cost him millions as he fell to the third round of the draft. Uh, he earned enough respect when he got to the NFL with the Cardinals to be voted team captain. Um, lost chunks of multiple seasons with injuries. Uh, worked his way back was released because the team didn't think he was worth the health risk, signed a you know a bet-on-yourself deal with the Texans, was voted team captain there before he ever played a game, and then was a good enough player with the Chiefs, or I'm sorry, with the Texans to earn generational wealth in a free agent contract with the Chiefs. So he was, in other words, like just well-positioned for this challenge. And if you listen to, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, the, the defensive coordinator, or teammates like, you know, Juan Thornhill, Traverius Ward, you know, basically anybody else, you, you can tell that Matthew has come through on that. Um, he has been the single biggest reason that the Chiefs defense has remade itself from, you know, garbage to reliable and, you know, a consistent part of why the team wins. Um, I'm emphasizing all this ahead of the Raiders game on purpose. Um, you know, that old defense from 2018 and, you know, a few seasons before that, uh, those guys would have been traumatized by 40 points and all those long touchdowns against the Raiders. They would have balled up in a shell. They would have been defensive, you know, gone rabbit ears on criticism. It, and it would have snowballed. Um, this group gave up 17 points the next week, uh, 16 the week after that while scoring a touchdown on its own, then nine. Uh, you know, I'm not here saying the Chiefs defense is like the, you know, the 2000 Ravens or anything. Like, don't get that wrong. Like, they've got weaknesses, um, particularly in coverage at times and the like, the, you know, the linebackers can be isolated and worked on. It's a good defense, which is much better than it used to be, but, you know, not a great defense. But so the, the point I'm making here is less about like talent and it's more about, you know, moxie. It's uh, about a group like they've had their pride restored. And that's a collective effort, you know, lots of factors, but nobody has had a bigger impact on that than Matthew. Um, it's a lot of why I think the Chiefs will win this game and why I think they'll win it comfortably enough that it ends with, you know, Chad Henney in the game or the final snap in victory formation. Um, okay, uh, before we get on to the rest of the show, um, this podcast is now free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. Uh, we work hard to bring you information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Uh, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Uh, you can find those links online or just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send them along. Um, okay, quick break, and then we will be back with some questions. Um, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you are calling from, and almost literally any question. Uh, put the number in your phone. Call anytime, 816-234-4365. Or, as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDOL. Um, anyway, a quick break, and then we are back with those questions. The first about how far the Chiefs might go with this revenge thing. 
Hey, this is Sal from Jersey. It's fourth quarter against the Raiders. We're blowing them out. Does Andy Reid pull out Patrick Mahomes, or does he keep the foot on the gas to send a statement as revenge for them circling around Arrowhead? This bus thing is real, you guys. Um, I, I know I wrote about this earlier in the week, but that Monday call was as heated as I can remember seeing Andy Reid in a press conference, um, which is even more notable since it was coming off a of bye week, right? They didn't even have a game the previous day. Um, you know, Andy says a lot that, you know, that football is a people business um, and he considers John Gruden a good friend. And I'm not saying they're no longer friends, um, but I think Andy heard about the bus and some of the other stuff that Gruden's been saying and it lit something for him. Um, Andy, he is well known to let his you know players have fun, let his personality show is, is what they always say. They celebrate and all those things. But you don't see much like coach sanctioned trash talk like that from the Chiefs, right? Like they're one of the cockiest teams in the league. Like don't get it twisted, but that's all generated by the players. Um, I think Andy sees the coach telling the bus to do a victory lap is just sort of, you know, a bridge too far. So, you know, look, no, uh, I don't think the score will get run up. Um, I think Andy has a lot of pride to not get into something like that. Um, and, you know, come on. But, like, can you imagine what would happen if the Chiefs are up four touchdowns and Mahomes is in with, like, three minutes left and he gets hurt? Um, just think about that for a second. But uh, so, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to run it up like that. But I do think that Andy and his assistants have been working with – you know, I don't know, can call it like an enhanced focus. Um, you know, I, I do believe the bye week and the loss in week five, the bus thing, it, it's all rolled up in this way. Like we are going to see the best version of the Chiefs on Sunday. And I believe that even before the news broke that a bunch of, you know, Raiders defensive players are on the COVID list and not practicing for a chunk of this week. So um, I also believe the forecast uh, should include a high chance of some wild trick play, right? Um, you know, Hungry Pig Wright happened in Oakland, you might remember. Uh, the Tebow pop pass happened toward the end of a win against the Broncos. Smoked sausage and the touchdown pass to Eric Fisher, like those, those were against the Ravens. So. Look, I think the Chiefs will say the right things about treating all games the same, but these are games that players and coaches look forward to more than the others. Um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed and a little surprised if we don't see something crazy. Um, okay, here's another Chiefs question and an animal noise. Hey, Sam, it's Chiefs Kingdom here, a.k.a. Marty. And really want to understand in the second half of the season the whole Ben Neiman, Dorian O'Daniel, Willie Gay conundrum that the Chiefs defense has. Who will take rise in the second half in your eye and opinion? Have a great day, buddy. Appreciate all you do. Thanks. This is a good week for this question because uh, Ben Neiman got exploited a few times against the Raiders in week five. Um, Gruden and his coaches, they, they had a hell of a game plan. And, um, you know, that brought some specific Chiefs weaknesses to light. They put the corners in spots to cover without help over the top. They put the linebackers, and, and really I'm thinking of Neiman here, uh, in spots where they had to make tackles in space. Um, narrator, that did not go well. Um, so... From the day they drafted Willie Gay, I believe the Chiefs had a specific plan for him uh, to bring him along pretty slowly, particularly with the limited offseason for a rookie who missed half of his last season in college. Um, but I, I thought they looked at Gay as, you know, sort of a problem solver, um, you know, and, and a specific problem solver that they might need in the postseason. And I think the Raiders are, are a good spot to get him some experience, too, because if you step back a little and think about, you know, the best version of the Chiefs defense, it is with Gay on the field a lot. He's He's the fastest man they have at the position. 
Uh, if he gets comfortable with everything else required of a linebacker, he can solve a lot of problems in coverage while also carrying the you know the strength and I guess more importantly the willingness to to make some collisions between the tackles. Um, that's the way I see it anyway. Uh, the the coaches probably feel like they can trust Neiman a little more to know where he's supposed to be at this point, and that's important. But this is this is a distinction that I'm going to make. I believe that they're they're bringing Gay along in a way that they'll trust him to actually get where he's supposed to be more often. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'd say it like this: if, if he is not getting a lot of snaps by the end of the season and into the playoffs, something will have gone wrong. Um, okay, uh, here's here's one more question about uh, psychology. Hey, Sam, Doc from Columbia, Missouri. You ever wonder why it's so hard for champions like the Chiefs to repeat, though we hope they do? Have you found that for a lot of athletes who've been successful, won championships, that it's like they've reached the the goal at the end of the rainbow and that success can be as limiting as failure, that once they've achieved the pinnacle and they find their life does not change, that that affects them. And if anything, being a champion can be stressful because all the teams regard them as a team they'll get up for, they'll bring their A game, and teams that are inconsistent will be consistently good against a team like the Chiefs. In other words, they're going to bring their A game. Interesting are your thoughts about that, Sam. Have a great day. Bye-bye. There's a million things that go into this, um, obviously, and uh, you know some of them are mentioned here in the question. But you know one thing that gets overlooked, I think, and and maybe it's overlooked because it sounds obvious, but like winning a championship is just really hard. Right? Uh, I mean, there, there's so much that goes into it. You know, years of you know roster building, getting the pieces to line up, time wise, the coaching, the 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 players staying on their specific spots, the the broad collective working together. You know, and and even then there are no guarantees. You know, because it's not enough to be the best team. Um, you also need some luck and some things that are just out of your control to go your way. Like, just use the Chiefs in a, as an example. Like, what if Mahomes and, and Frank Clark aren't able to rest with a first-round bye last year? What if Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders? What if the 49ers don't go away from the run? Um, it's just really hard. Like, lucky and good. You need both. And sometimes I think that gets lost when we try to search for other answers. Um, you know, the Chiefs have been on the other side of this, too, by the way, just like the year before last season. Um, you know, D. Ford and, and, and that play, the coin flip. Um, I really believe if, if the Chiefs get into the Super Bowl, here's what I'm, if the Chiefs win that coin flip, I think they score the touchdown and end and, and, and the game. And then uh, I think they would have beat the Rams, and that Super Bowl would have been a lot more fun to watch than 13-3 to or whatever the crap that, that ended up being. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot that goes into this, um, you know, and, and sometimes I think we get – we sort of lose track of – of that, of, of how hard it is when we try to search for these other answers. But, uh, you know, to your point, like, yeah, motivation is a big thing um, because it flips after a championship or, or at least it can flip. It tends to flip. Um, you know, the, the winner will be a little less hungry and the opponents are a lot hungrier. Um, you know, focus can wane. There's there's some real stuff there. But, you know, that's talked about a lot. Um, here's one that's talked about less and thought about less, I think. Teams can be limited by success. 
And what I mean is like, if something works and, and you win a championship, you can believe that that same formula will work again. Like you've found the, the, the magic formula uh, for a championship. And, and I'll go one step more. You can believe that you have to use that same formula, you know, either to chase that same feeling or it might be fear. You know, if, if you win a title and make big changes and it doesn't work, then, you know, like what kind of moron will everybody assume you to be, right? So um, changing what's not broke can feel and sound crazy, but it, it can also be the smartest and gutsiest thing in the world. Like, you know, Tiger Woods, um, you know, tore down his swing multiple times when he was the best golfer in the world. Um, here's one that, you know, look, this may be a little bit strange analogy. It's not in sports, but, you know, Steve Jobs, I don't know if any of you guys have read the Walter Isaacson's terrific biography of him, but one thing that came, comes through incredibly clear in that book, like, he pushed Apple to constantly cannibalize itself you know to build a software or even hardware into the the best in the world and then immediately work hard to make that innovation obsolete and the reason he did that is applicable in sports it's because he knew that if if what apple has today isn't made obsolete by apple tomorrow then it'll be made obsolete by someone else um, and there's a lot of football in there. Copycat league, always evolving. Uh, you know, you just can't do the same thing with the same group and expect it to work. And that's one more reason that I think the Chiefs have a real, honest, legit chance at a dynasty here. Um, you know, Andy Reid does not do status quo. He's got like some fundamentals. He's got some base beliefs that he works off, but he's always changing. Um, he's changing play designs. He's changing work habits. He's changing what he asks of guys. He's changing everything from how the coaches teach to the specific ways to put the other team's safety in a you know no win situation. Um, I, I'm not here telling you it's enough, you know, that the Chiefs will win this Super Bowl or even any more Super Bowls. Um, but I am saying that's a critical piece that I think the Chiefs have in place. Okay, one more question because <laughs> I guess. We we can't go a week without a Mahomes question, right? So here goes. Zam, Brian from Wheaton, Illinois. Question. Can we please stop talking about Russ Wilson for MVP? Can it just end? Second, and a related question. I'm in the Chicagoland area, and it seems to me that while the national media concedes that Patrick Mahomes is QB1 of the NFL, most of the hype and most of the discussion around uh, superstar quarterbacks still tends to focus on uh, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson. Uh, everyone's enamored with Tua, uh, Deshaun Watson, despite the record. Given given Mahomes' rocket ship, as you like to say, uh, status and, and really undisputed title as king right now, do you feel like he's almost underappreciated by the media? And I'm wondering if that's hard for someone in Kansas City to actually understand. But outside of Kansas City, Mahomes is, oh, yeah, 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 Mahomes is great. But people seem to talk about other quarterbacks. Do you think that's true? And if so, why? And if you don't think it's true, maybe this one doesn't make the uh, podcast. Thanks, Sam. Well, first, yes. Um, I, I think we can stop talking about Russell Wilson for MVP. Um, too many turnovers. Uh, I'm, so, yes, I'm, I'm all in here. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers might be the most interesting contender right now, along with along with Mahomes, and their numbers are remarkably similar. Um, Rodgers is completing a little higher percentage. Uh, he's got one more touchdown, two more interceptions, 
but you know their, their yards per completion, adjusted air yards per pass, passer rating, QBR, EPA per play, like it's all really really similar. Uh, you know, and, and seven more games in the regular season can change a lot. So I, I'm not sure how useful it is to pick a favorite right now. Um, though I do think Kyler Murray is interestingly positioned, and you know as much as the I think the MVP in this modern NFL should be a quarterback. That's just the way that the games are played. Um, you know, you could also see guys like, you know, I don't know, Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, Step Diggs, Alvin Kamara. You know, there, there's some other guys that, that might, you know, kind of rise up to to that level, to that MVP conversation. But, you know, the, the more interesting part of Brian's question here to me is, is whether Mahomes is underappreciated. And, um look like i live in kansas city like this is kind of my life is 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 thinking and writing about the chiefs obviously so um you know this is one of those things where you guys uh probably have a better perspective than i do uh, especially those of you like brian who don't live in or around kansas city um this might sound weird i don't know maybe it does but i don't consume that much national media um you know the national analysts um, when I do, I certainly don't hear anybody saying that Mahomes is anything other than awesome, right? Um, but, you know, th- there are nuances. Maybe this is, I don't know if this is like what Brian's getting at, but there are nuances to Mahomes' game that I absolutely believe are overlooked. And mostly I'm, I'm thinking here of his just absurd consistency. Um, you know, he just hasn't had a terrible game. And, you know, only maybe a few that were like only like average or good. That is crazy difficult. Like Aaron Rodgers, an amazing quarterback. And and he was 16 for 35 for 160 yards, no touchdowns and two interceptions against the Bucks. Again, incredible quarterback, one of the best of all time. But at least so far, we just don't see games like that from Mahomes. Uh, the other thing that I think gets overlooked is how stingy Mahomes is with turnovers. And that was the big knock on him out of college, right? Um, you know, the Brett Favre comparisons, they brought to mind this guy who take a lot of like 50-50 shots and maybe he's got the talent to make him work, you know, 60% or even 70% of the time. But we don't really see that, um, you know, and, and I should say here, right, like uh, those concerns about him being like the wild gunslinger, the, those things were overrated. Um, and and we wrote and said that at the time, by the way, because if you look at the interception percentages, he was right in line with those other top prospects. And none of those guys were getting the same criticisms. And none of those guys were being asked to make as many sort of, you know, like screw it passes as, as Mahomes was in college. So, um, but it's crazy. Like he has developed himself into this anomaly like he has as much production as anybody in the league and probably more wild highlights but he's also turning it over fewer like fewer times than than anybody he's taking fewer sacks than almost any, anyone um it's like you get all the good without the sacrifice that comes with it so i don't know again you, you guys would have a better idea on this than me about you know him being underappreciated but i do think that those specific parts of his game can be can be overlooked um, okay. Thanks as always. Another great batch of questions. <laughs> you guys like are the best, uh, right? Like I have the, the best readers, the best listeners. I want you to know every day. Um, I am grateful for it. Um, so thank you. Okay. Uh, one more br- quick break and we will be back with some insight from Peter Vermees ahead of sporting's playoff game this weekend.
Okay, the Chiefs are not the only Kansas City team with a big game on Sunday. Uh, Sporting Kansas City will host San Jose in a Western Conference playoff game as the number one seed. This is a year after missing the playoffs for the first time since 2010. By standings in both the Supporters' Shield and MLS regular season, this is the biggest one-year turnaround in league history. Now, some of this is circumstance, right? Like, Sporting's 2019 season was basically just wrecked by injuries, um, set back by a wild early part of the schedule, um, long travel, lots of games, different climates, all all these factors that put a lot of physical stress on the players and you'd have to assume contributed heavily to the injuries. Uh, It's also worth noting that even in a bad season, right, uh, they made it to the CONCACAF semifinal. So I remember talking to Peter Vermees toward the end of that season and the idea of whether it was time to sort of walk away and and move on from Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi and Roger Espinosa, that that was real. And you want to see injuries as flukes, but players get injured more often as they age, right? And, and the production wasn't the same. So I think it's really interesting and impressive what Vermees and Sporting have pulled off this season. They, uh, they, they improved the personnel in the back and the middle. And then, you know, most notably, been a record transfer fee on, on Alan Polito, the striker who led Liga MX in goals. Vermees essentially like sort of rejected the idea that it was time to move on from those guys and also rejected the idea that he or the club would be best served by doubling down on the same strategy. Instead, he sort of created this new context for these older stars and everyone else, um, you know, still leaning on them, but not quite as heavily and not quite in the same way. It's, you know, one more success in a career already full of them. So uh, I wanted to talk to Peter about all of that. He's he's always been one of my favorite people to talk to, and this conversation did not disappoint. So here's a few clips I'm going to play for you here. First, and I could not resist because I, I know how much he hates the term rebuilding, but I was happy you could sense the sarcasm when I congratulated him on a heck uh, of a rebuilding year. <laughs> Thank you. But I do think Vermees' broader approach is worth getting into a little bit. Um, he often talks in these terms about, you know, how much MLS has changed since he started. And he sort of got it, you know, MLS 1.0, then 2.0, and now the league is in 3.0. Uh, the money's getting bigger. The competition has grown, like, exponentially. And, you know, you, you can sometimes wonder whether a small market team like Sporting, you know, even in a salary-capped league, might be better off building toward a, you know, a certain all-in season. Um, that approach, by the way, in some ways, is what the Royals did leading up to the 2015 World Series. But uh, Vermees rejects that. Here he is. My personality and who I am wouldn't allow me to do it that way. Yeah. You know, I I, I, I think I told you this before. I remember when I when when I was, you know, not, not when I not when I was doing the interim, but the following season after that 10 games, when I sat with the ownership and, and I was, you know, going to take the job full time. And they asked me like, what is my goal? And I said, my goal is to make this team competitive every single year. So we always got to be in the, in, in the, you know, in the environment to be able to win a trophy. And, you know, that, that's, I think it's a lofty goal, especially in this profession, right? Because as you know, there's, there's teams that don't make the playoffs for long stretches. And, mm-hmm. and so, to do that, you got to make the playoffs. To do that, you got to be involved in the other competitions. You, you got to be in that upper. You know, we we call it I, we call it here the uh, we'd like to be in the hex every year. The hex, you know, we use that kind of term from you know the Concacaf hex. Sure. We want to be in the hex every year in the league where we're up there competing with the the big markets, um, and that's our objective. And so that that's really what I what I've always wanted to do. And that's been my goal ever since. And I don't see it any other way when you're, 
when you're building, rebuilding, retooling, however you want to say it, it's, it's kind of getting that roster ready to compete again and be, be competitive with the rest of the teams. And then hopefully, you know, you overachieve in some areas. And, and, and that's, I think that's what happened this year is that I think a, a bunch of our young guys have punched above their weight class when you didn't expect them to. What he's basically saying there is you, you build a roster in a way that you have a mix of young and old, you know, with different ways of winning. And if you're consistently in that mix, the hex, uh, then if you get some good breaks, you can win a championship. And, you know, the younger players and sporting has eight guys, 22 or younger, all of them homegrown. Um, but those younger players that have been a lot of that good break this year. Uh, Vermees and, and everyone who works for him obviously expected these guys to be good, right? Or else they wouldn't have signed him. But they, they did not expect them to be this good this quickly. Um, he, he talks, like Vermees uses this term a lot about staying ahead of the curve. And, you know, he uses that sometimes in the macro, right, um, in, in terms of recognizing and adjusting to what's required. And, you know, again, MLS 3.0. But, you know, specifically he uses it in, in decisions on players. And that's rarely been as obvious as it was after last season. So uh, I, I asked him if he felt like the curve was catching up on him last year and if this was a particularly important season in Sporting's move into the future. I think, I think it's a really good question, and I would, I would say it this way, is that when you're in that kind of situation where you, know, you, you, you expect to be competitive and then you're not, what happens is, is that you start to analyze everything that you do. And so, the, 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 you know, then, then, then you ask yourself, you know, do we need to change all these things or do we need to change a bunch of these things or some of these things? Like, what do you do? And we as a staff, I think, did a really good job in that we didn't, we didn't panic in the sense that all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, we didn't make the playoffs this year, so we're going to now have to change everything and we have to be different than, you know, who we were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I think you – you're never the same. You're always evolving, but you also have a foundation in which you are starting and playing from and working from. And that was a good thing that the staff was able to stay, stay committed to. And, and that part was, I think, what it allowed us to do is this year was kind of the experiment to see, hey, was that the right decision or not to, to stay the course? And, you know, I, I mean, obviously – it's, it's yielded some things in a good way at the moment. One of the ways that they evolved was in becoming more diverse on the attack. Uh, they, they improved the personnel in the back, and that was important. Um, you know, gave, the team gave up way too many goals last year. Uh, but they also found a way to maintain their identity as, you know, sort of a, a possession team while getting more going forward, more attacking, particularly in the midfield. Then, you know, at the top, um, they got away from the style that they've been in for years, you know, uh, all the way back to Dom DeWire, where, you know, the attack essentially goes through one guy, um, right, their target man. And they, they had some killers on the wing on this team most notably Johnny Russell. Um, He can cut inside, he can beat a guy one-on-one, and that kind of style needs a little bit of space. And, you know, that's how Polito is such a good fit. He could be a traditional striker. Uh, You know, he can fall back a bit. He can give those wingers some space, play some dangerous balls through, keep a defense guessing. And, you know, this is sort of, uh, please... Don't judge me for this analogy. I, I hope you'll stay with me. But it's sort of like the soccer version. Remember what Scott Pioli, sorry, but Scott Pioli, he always used to say, like, it's not the best 53, but the right 53. That's kind of what Vermees is doing here. And I understand you guys aren't in the mood for a Pioli reference, but the Chiefs are 8-1, and one, so just stick with me. Uh, I hope you get the point. So anyway, uh, here's Peter talking about all this and, and how it makes the team better. You know, you, you search for those types of players because you know you need something like that. 
and, and that's where I think the team has been enhanced. Um, I always think there'll be some similar qualities. Um, I like having the ball as a team. I think possession is, is important for the way that we want to play, but I don't have to dominate possession all the time um, because that's, that's also not realistic. Uh, because there's sometimes, like, an example is when we went into our game against Colorado, or I'm sorry, not Colorado, uh, Salt Lake, we were, we were really, uh, we had a really specific game plan going there. And, you know, we just didn't expect that the snow <coughs> was going to be sticking and the field was going to be like the way it was. And so we guys came in after the warm-ups and I said, hey, listen, we're taking the game plan and throwing it in the trash can. And here's what we're going to do in this game. We have to, and they had to adapt and adjust on the fly. We completely went against, you know, our our way of playing to go and secure a result. Because at the end, that's what we need to do. We need to win, right? We 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 got to win. So I, I com- that's why I commend the guys for the ability to be able to change on the fly, but also to be malleable enough that you can change and still get a result. And you have to be able to do that. And I, and I think that's one of the things that we've become a lot better at, but I also, also think that's probably I've evolved and staff has evolved, and we've also gotten different players that can, you know, handle those changes as well. This is a high-wire act then, you know, um, the consistent success in a league that requires you to swim upstream for that. Um, you know, Sporting Vermees, they're, they're back to pulling it off. It's a cool story, and it's one that I hope you enjoy hearing a little bit more about. Okay, uh, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Uh, Thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together. Uh, Thanks to Peter Vermees for the time and insight. Thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And the biggest thanks of all for you listening. Let's do it again next week. Uh, Have a good weekend. Be kind.